while our children <clears throat> while our children are still with us this morning I want you to join with me and I want to pray together and as a body I want us to realize what's happening when we stop and we pray we're not going from welcome to baptism to songs to message and we need something to break those two up or those three up or those four up we get to talk to eternal God I want you to hear that we get to talk to eternal God so when you have an opportunity this afternoon when you go to lunch and somebody says who's going to pray don't be the person that says okay I will I want you to realize you get the privilege of talking to eternal God. This is something that God has broken me so many times over the last couple of months on. Because so many times it's been a transition from one thing to another. Or it's been something so that we can finally eat. Or so we can go to bed. Or when we're panicking over something. Let all the distractions go for a second. And just join me with the Father. Whether you're online or whether you're right here in this room. Just stop. Just do what you have to do to get in with Jesus right now. Father, as my friend was desperate for you to change her life and then wanted to celebrate it in a public way, God, we all come before you desperate right now. We just sang a song, God, it says, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our breath. It's, it's the breath you give us. God, we come in here and some of us, we feel so dirty. We've, we feel the sin in our lives, in our mind, in our words, in our bodies, and we desperately need your forgiveness right now in this morning. Some of us, God, we just sang a lot of songs, but they were words and they weren't real to us because something's not real with us and you right now. God, we need you to change that in us. And God, I have no doubt in my mind that every single person in this room needs to hear the words that you have put on this page in James chapter 4 today. And so God, may the words that I say May they be your words. So you speak into my life and you speak into our lives through the power of your holy word. Because we need you. Help us. Help us. Help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated unless you are headed to Children's Church, and then you may head back towards the back. I don't know about you guys, but I am pumped about tonight, whether it's inside, outside, uh, whether there's uh, 700 of us or whether there's 250 of us. I cannot wait to hang out in this place tonight. Thank you, man. Um, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and go with me to James chapter 4. Uh, super important scripture passage that I want you to, to read along with me this morning, James chapter 4, 
beginning in verse 1. So if you got that, that paper book there in front of you, the Bible, if you'll take it out and follow along with me. James chapter 4, the first couple of verses there. If you don't have it, uh, you can pull it up on your phone or your iPad or whatever you got, or we've got it up on the screen for you so that you will be able to see it. I want you to follow along because the most important thing that you hear from today is not me, it's Jesus. It's from His Word. It's from His Holy Spirit. So if you will, follow along, read along with me. As I share this, I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. James says this, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Do they come from evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it from them. Yet, this is so important, listen to this, we've read it over and over again, but we need to read it right here in this context because it matters. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Now a lot of times we stop there, but that's not where it stops. Verse 3 he says, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only, only what will give you pleasure. Now I want to break this down with you because I want us, I want all of us in this room to be able to go from a place that feels far from God to a place that we know we are near to him. From far to near, that's the goal, that's where we're going today. So this is the first question, it's on your outline, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a point, it's just a question that I think that we have to ask here in this place today. What's the struggle, what wrong desire is within you? What, what is that thing that you know it because it, it pops immediately to the front of your brain? You know because it's a big deal because it's an it's a everyday thing that's a struggle for you. It's an everyday desire in you that you cannot get past no matter what you try to do. It is there. It's there when you wake up. It's there as you're driving down the road. It's there as you're trying to go to bed at night. It's there when you're trying to fix it. It's there when you think it's fixed. It's there. What is that struggle? What is that constant struggle inside you? Well, James says it's wanting what you don't have. It's a desire for something inside you, and it gets bigger. He says you'll almost do anything to get it. You'll war, you'll fight, you'll kill to get what you don't have, whatever it is in your life. Now, if we back up just a, a couple of verses to the end of James chapter 3, you don't have to because I'm just talking about what we talked about last week, but if you back up to that, it'll all come into focus because what he's saying is our thinking is not wise we're not walking in wisdom when we're always wanting something that's not God it's a messed up kind of thinking the the Greek word he uses a phrase in there and he says evil desires is the way it's translated in the New Living Translation the Greek word for evil desires actually has a a root that comes from a word that we call hedonism now think about it it's, it's pleasure society. It, it's nothing but what brings us 
pleasure in our lives. That's, that's when we live for the sole purpose of pleasing ourselves. And Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 8 when he's talking about the parable of the seeds. This is the seed that lands in the thorns and it's choked out by life's worries and riches and pleasures. And it, it, it puts a stranglehold on what God has given us. And it takes away the joy. It takes away everything. And what he says is they don't mature. That's what happens to that plant. They never become what they were created to be. In verse 2, he says, you want what others have. You are jealous. You are envious. You want their position. You want their fame. You want their name. You want their clothes, you want their house, you want their family, you want, you want. Because it looks like it brings them pleasure, so you want that same kind of pleasure. And when he says you will kill to get it, does he mean you'll, well, sometimes people do take other lives to get what they want. It doesn't usually work out very well because you end up losing your life even in a different kind of way. But he's not necessarily talking about murdering to get it. He's saying that the fights and the warring to get what you want hurts the heart of God as much as murder. He says, just like it. You're not taking another life, but you are taking a life. You're taking your own life. You're taking the life that I have given you and you are taking that. Now, this is not a buy for this, and it's not an excuse for it. It's just a reality of where you and I are in a world that, well, it, it goes by a different set of rules. We live in a world system that says not only is it okay to want more stuff, but we live in a world that says that's really the way that you're supposed to live. We talk about it frequently in here, but I don't know that I get it yet. We call it the American dream. And I don't think, the more I look at Scripture, the less I see that the American dream is God's dream for you and me as followers of Christ. I keep saying this, this world is not my home. If this world's not my home, guess what's not my home? My home's not my home. If, if this world is not my home, guess what's not really mine? My, my vehicle's not really mine. If this world's not my home, then my clothes, they end up being insignificant. You know? The degrees behind my name, because this world's not my home, it ends up being insignificant. The world says this should be actually the goal that you have to, to, to get more. The world says that our priority in life should be our comfort and that pain should really not be a part of it. Matter of fact, we even have people who stand in pulpits on Sunday mornings and say, well, if you got pain, you must not be doing something right. Maybe pain has a purpose. You know, maybe pain brings us to a place where we need to be. I don't think my friends walked through pain over the last two years has been something like, boy, I wish I could just do that again over and over again. If I could just, if I could just, no. But April, look where it brought you. It brought you to a realization that you have to have Jesus. and you, you can't fix this stuff on your own. It's only Jesus that can do this. This world says it's okay for others to suffer. It's really okay for others to suffer because we got to look out for ourselves. We don't have time to look out for other people. 
You see, our friends in Puerto Rico left their comfort of their home where most of the time they have electricity to go down for a week to spend to help people who can't get back in their homes yet, who don't have electricity, who don't have water, who don't have food, who don't have diapers. They left their comfort zone to go help somebody who was uncomfortable, who couldn't even live, survive because they were out of water. As a matter of fact, the things that we desire probably have little or nothing to do with what God desires for us. The things that we go after, the things that we look at in the catalogs and on Amazon, I guess we don't even really have a lot of catalogs anymore, but the things that we look at online and in Amazon and, 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 and searching for all the time and show up in our social feeds that we need to buy, they're really not God's desire for us. The last part of verse, t, verse 2 says, you don't have what you, and that word's important, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Now, I think that's a very interesting word that I never thought about because I, when I read this over and over again, this is 40 years of studying it. I read it and I, I would read it and it would be like, you don't have what you need because you don't ask. That's what I kept reading in my mind, even though it says you don't have what you want because you don't ask. Now, did God really send his son to give us what we want? Do you see the messed up disharmony in that, in the way that we've even read that? We use this verse to explain why God may not answer uh, prayers. But here again, context is such a big deal. James is talking to Christians, people who have claimed faith in Christ, that are followers of Christ. But if we look at what James is actually saying right here, why the fighting? Why the warring? Why the desire to take a life in order to get what you want? Why, why will we do just about anything to get what we want? Because not so deep down, we're a hedonist. We want our things that bring us pleasure, the things that bring us comfort, the things that keep us from hurting. James says... They're not even asking. How far do we have to get from the Lord before we start, stop talking to him and even asking, God, can you help with this? Because usually we find ourselves in an incredibly, de incredibly desperate place before we ever just stop to ask. And he said, you don't even ask. That's how far away they were. They didn't even ask. Our ask of the Lord, it's a wise first step, but our ask of the Lord need to be wise first steps. Do they line up with the wisdom of this world or do they line up with the wisdom of God? Do you see how this fits with James chapter 3, the end of it? Does it line up with which one, the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of God? Are we asking for things that will bring us pleasure or are we asking for things that will bring God glory? And those two things can be so different. And I find myself torn in this, and so he deals with this. And, and even when you do remember to ask, he says, it's, hap it's not happening because your motives are wrong. You're asking for things that will give you pleasure and not God. Lehman Strauss said it like this. is up on the, the board behind me. In our day of insatiable thirst for pleasure, it's destroying our thirst for the things of God. 
And our, and our desire for hedonism is destroying who and what we are called and desired to be by holy God. And it's changing us. So the purpose of prayer is not to talk God into doing what we want, just pleading with him and begging him to do what we want. But the idea is that we would align his will with our desires and then we'll start praying for those things and then guess what happens those prayers start getting answered because we're lined up with what he wants where's a great place to find out what he wants i don't know maybe his word maybe that's where we start rather than what the world's advertising to us and trying to sell to us we start looking in his word for what he desires for us because in matthew chapter 6 he talks about he wants us to partner with him he wants us to align our will with his so that his will can be accomplished here on earth matter of fact one of the things that's so freeing is sometimes we pray things and we're like okay god is that is that what you want I know I just prayed that, but is that what you want? Maybe we go back to what Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. God, so if I'm saying it wrong, make it right. Give me what I need, not what I want. Do, it, do what needs to happen for your will to be done. So why don't we have what we want? His promise for every follower of his is that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. All of our needs. You see the difference in the needs and the wants there? Daylight and dark. Wisdom and the way of this world. So we ask for wrong things. John Barton, almost 50 years ago, a pastor and theologian said this. Sometimes we actually do get what we wanted. Only to discover that we still don't have what we really needed which is the deep contentment that only comes when we are right with God he goes on he says this trusted alone our desires will only lead us to things of this earth and not to the things of God so we have to go back to what he's asking for and we have to say God even if I'm messing up and what I'm asking make it right make it right you do what has to be done Lord your will be done verse 4 in James chapter 4 says this it kind of hurts because he's talking to you and me. But he says this. He says, you adulterers. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? Do these not matter? Is what he's saying. They say that God is passionate. That the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him and he gives grace generously as the scriptures say God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble how do we break this down just a couple thoughts here number two on your outline is this realize you're chasing the wrong dreams if there's a war going on in your life for what you think God ought to be doing in your life maybe actually probably no, really. We're pursuing the wrong dreams. James says that a heart like this makes us adulterers. I'm like, how does it make us adulterers? Well, we got we to dig into that. He's not talking about physical, sexual adultery here. He's talking about spiritual adultery here. Here's what he means. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and when we turn away from God and we commit spiritual adultery what that means is we put something in his place 
We are part of the bride of Christ. Yet when we say anything in this life is more important than God, he says you're committing spiritual adultery. You've put something else in front of me. He goes on, he says, friendship with the world makes us an enemy of God. And there is, I don't know if I can think of anything that is worse than being an enemy of God. Of everything in this world, there is one that I do not want to be an enemy of, and it's an enemy of God. I was listening to uh, Francis Chan uh, this weekend uh, as I was uh, in therapy riding a tractor. And uh, he, he said this, he, he shared this verse, Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were through the death of his son, which was through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? While we were, while we were enemies... I want you to hear, while we were enemies, he reconciled us. When we didn't have it all right, when we couldn't get it all right, he reconciled. He made us right with God. It goes back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. While we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. That's this whole passage that he's dealing with here in Romans. So mark it down. I want you to think about this. I want this to be kind of on your forehead. I want you to think about on the very front of your brain. I want you to think about this. Selfishness will always destroy peace. Specifically with God, selfishness will always destroy peace. God never wants our li- the lives of his Christian to be contr- of his of his followers of, of of his children to be controlled by our desire for stuff. It makes me ask, has there been a moment in my life when my life was controlled by stuff? Well, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it was striving for prestige. I wanted that name. I wanted that place. I wanted that, I wanted that recognition for something. And it can be in middle school or it can be as an old man or woman. And we just want recognition for it. We want, we want credit for it. Or maybe this is where we are. We just forget about him. We get distracted and we just forget about him. And, and the world is selling us this lie, but that is not God's plan for us. One of my favorite scriptures, and it's on the front of my phone. When I pull it up, it's Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 that says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. That's the closer I get to him and the more I find myself walking with him, the more I see him answering prayers. I don't know if you're seeing that, but I'm seeing that. The closer I'm walking, the more I'm seeing that. And I don't necessarily like the answers to the prayers, but they're the right answers when I'm seeking him like that. God is passionate that the spirit that he's placed in us should be faithful to him. That's what he wants from us. But even though we are committing spiritual adultery, and it is so wrong, and it should bring tears to our lives, it should hurt our hearts, and even though it clearly breaks God's heart, it says in verse 6, it says, He gives grace generously. I just want to be super clear about this. There's not a single person in this room that deserves His grace. But yet He gives it over and above, and He gives it generously. So what, 
what should our response, what should our reply to the fact that even though we're so messed up that he gives this grace generously, how should we respond to this? Because we've got a chance today to respond to this. It's James chapter 4 and verse 7, and he makes it so clear. It's like he's laid all this out. You've committed adultery with your God. You've, you've, you've broken his heart like this. You've warred against things that you shouldn't. You've fought for things that you shouldn't have fought for. But yet, there's a way back. So, so many of us in this room need to know the way back right now. And he says it right here in verse 7. So, humble yourselves before God. The word humble there literally, if you look it up, it means that you literally lie down on your face before a holy God. Some of us need to do that. Some of us need to do that. And he says this, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 8, he takes it another step. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty. Look at that. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy and humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. And that's number three. It's the last thing. Humbly admit to God that, he, that you have messed up. Get on your face before God and say, I blew it. I've blown it. I'm going after the wrong stuff. I'm seeking. I, my, my priorities are messed up. He, he says, turn around. Go back to the Lord. Some of us need to go read the, the story of the prodigal one more time and realize it doesn't turn out well even when you're giving it all. But yeah, your father's right there saying, just come home. We have to humble ourselves. We have to be 100% honest with the Lord. Not 95%, not 98%, not 98.5%, 100%. And when James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, specifically what's he talking about again context is so important so when you read this stuff read it in context and if you need help let's talk about it let's figure this out but our temptation in this world is to love this world and the things that bring us earthly pleasure and he says resist the enemy resist his temptation and when we refuse when we refuse and when we give in to that temptation that becomes sin. That takes us back to another spot that we talked about in James. When we refuse, when we, when we give into temptation, we sin. And he wants us to refuse to give into temptation. And if we will do what he says, if we'll resist, like he says, the prom there's a promise there from the Lord. If we'll resist, if we'll fight it, the devil will have to flee. Not on your power but on the power of a holy God who died on a cross for you. That's the only way that it works. And then he says this, I love this. This is so intimate between the Lord. He says, come close to God and he will come close to you. When we're loving the stuff of this world, our love for Jesus will take second place. And in that, our loyalty is divided. And I'm seeing this over and over and over again through the word. He wants an undivided heart from us. He wants us to be a, 
He wants us to have one God in our life and no other. He wants an undivided heart. It's a song that literally I play over and over and over again. I don't know if you realize this, but music affects you. There's a song I stole from my son's church out in Texas called Undivided, Undivided Heart by Watermark. You should put it on your, uh, on your Spotify if you've got it. If you don't, find a cassette tape and record it somewhere. But you need to get this down somewhere. But it's about an undivided heart. It's so much more, an undivided heart is so much more than singing songs in a service. It's, it's, matter of fact, you can, you, can, you can cry through every song in this place, but if your heart is still divided, when you walk away, your heart's still going to be divided. He wants an undivided heart for me and an undivided, and this is not easy. This is not easy. This doesn't just come. It doesn't just happen. It happens when we surrender to him, when we humble ourselves before him. You will know him more and more and you'll know him better and better. And you'll start to grasp God's power and his strength and begin to understand how he wants to guide your life. And then he says, then you're going to wash your hands. It's like a ritual that used to happen before the priests would go in the temple and they would wash their hands and make them clean, pure, holy before they would even walk into the temple. You're choosing to stop sin. You're choosing to walk away from it and then to purify your heart. It's begging God to make what's wrong in your heart right, to honor him and, 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 and to help you so that you won't keep sinning. Because I don't know if you realize this, you can't fix this. There ain't enough steps to fix this in your life. It takes a holy God. You may need other help, but you need God. Just like I need God. Psalm 24 is what James is talking about here. And it goes back to a song that I remember from years and years and years ago. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our heart to another. You know what that is? I don't know if you hear it. It's an undivided heart that God desires for us for. Your loyalty is divided and he wants an undivided heart. God is a jealous God. He wants us to want him like he wants us. I can't believe he wants me. I can't believe he wants you, but he does. And he wants us to want him in that same way. Vance Havner said it like this. Among his, which is Satan's, among Satan's most successful devices today are these. Exalting tolerance above truth. Emphasizing the head more than the heart. Making size more important than sort. In other words, how big we are in a church above what kind of hearts are there. Stressing the positive over the neglect of the negative. Putting happiness above holiness. Majoring on the world instead of the next. You see where we're messed up there? And I say we Verse 9, the last part of that says, uh, there, was, there should be tears for what we have done. There should be grief and sorrow. Literally, as I was reading this over and over and over again, God finally brought me to a point where I was just broken and I couldn't see the pages anymore. Because there should be tears for what we've done. It, it should bring us to a place that it just hurts that we've hurt a holy God. 
who loved us that much. And we just go on. Like nothing ever happened. It's not funny to break God's heart. Heart. That's funny. But it's not funny to break God's heart. If he's not our everything, we're cheating on him. It's time for change. I read this on Twitter this week. Repentance is not when you cry, it's when you change. All those tears, if nothing happens, they're just a waste. They're just salty water coming from your face. If there's no change. So what do we do with this? How do we, how do we go from far to near? And just, I, I want us to be aware of what we have to do. Go back to God. That's where you start. Go back to God. Repent. That's what you got to do. And the next one is super easy. Do away with the sin that you know. And ask God to show you the sin that you're not aware of. So that you can repent of it. So you can turn away from it. And like verse 9 says, weep. And may it not just be tears, may it lead to change. You may or may not be aware of this, but every great revival that has ever happened in this world began with one thing. Broken people who realized they were breaking the very heart of God. It started with repentance. It has to start there with us as well. So we lastly humble ourselves before holy God. If you're through writing, I want you to go ahead and stand up where you are. And if you can just hang where you are, I want you to think about this as a supernatural holy moment where the Holy Spirit of God is working in lives and it might be the person beside you, it might be the person behind you. But our, just our moving around can sometimes distract people and keep people from being able to do what God wants them to do in this moment. The first place that all of us in this room have to be is a place like April was just a couple of months ago, realizing we don't have it right with Jesus and it has to be made right. Jesus starts, he starts with this, repent and believe. Now, we say repent and believe like it's two different things, but in order to repent, you have to realize who you're believing in. You have to put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's just sorrow for messing up. It's just tears. But if you realize what Christ has done for you on the cross, if you realize that what happened there, the blood that was shed, is the very representation that happened this morning, that you're buried together with Jesus and you're raised to walk in a new life with him. He changes us from the inside out. If that has never happened, if you don't know that's happened in your life, I want you to come find Drew. Come find me. Come find a friend. Come find mom, dad, whomever that can tell you how to get that relationship with Christ started. Start there today. For everybody else in this room, I think it's time to humble ourselves before the Lord and to go after him with everything we've got. Pray with me, please. God, if we don't realize we need you, something is messed up inside our hearts. Help us right now. And don't let anything hold us back from what you want to do in our lives in this second.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.